join me, Christine Weinbrenner Eirich, for soulful conversations with my community of travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. We might all agree that we are missing travel right now. These conversations highlight what tourism really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. In each episode, you'll hear the story of industry professionals and seasoned travelers who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. This is the soul of travel. Lisa Niver is a science teacher and an award-winning travel expert who has explored 101 countries and six continents. She sailed the seven seas by cruise ship for seven years and backpacked for three years through Asia. She is currently writing a book, Brave-ish, talking about her experience completing 50 adventures before 50. When she's not scuba diving or in her art studio making ceramics, she's helping people find their next dream trip. She is the founder of We Said Go Travel, which is read in 235 countries and named number three on the top 1,000 travel blogs and the top female travel blogger three times in 2019. I hope you enjoy this lively conversation with Lisa as we discuss her travels and how she brings these experiences to the classroom and to programs for We Said Do Good. We also dive into her recent article for Teen Vogue, How a Swimming Lesson from Olympian Marcus Rogan Changed My Life. We explore what happens in our journey when we say yes to opportunities and the power in asking for what we want. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Lisa Niver. Good morning. Welcome to Soul of Travel. So excited to have Lisa Niver joining me today. And we were just talking about how to explain all of the hats that she wears and all the wonderful things that she does. And um, the diving journalist, I think, is where we landed, which made me so happy. Um, Those are actually two of my favorite things. So uh, it's a great place to start. Um, uh, Lisa, I would love to just let you actually take a moment to introduce yourself and share a little bit about the work that you do. And then we have so many things that I'm excited to cover in this conversation. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm so grateful to you for inviting me to be on your show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. And a little bit about me. I, I, I don't know that anyone specifically called me the diving journalist before, but I love that. <laughs> I love scuba diving. And um, my last name is Niver and rhymes with diver. So that's always been helpful for people to pronounce my name correctly. But I, I started loving travel when I was a very little girl. And over the years, I've always tried to figure out how to do more of it. So I worked for Club Med. I worked on cruise ships. That was about seven years. I've taught school. And lately, mainly, I'm focused on video. So I have my own YouTube channel, We Said Go Travel, which is just a smidge under 1.3 million views. Yay. And I have about 12 people to go to get to 3,000 subscribers. So feel free to join me. Mm-hmm. And I, before the pandemic, I was sharing travel segments on KTLA TV here in Los Angeles. And I'm hopeful that as the vaccine comes in and we understand more about it, that again, we'll be able to open up and learn about other people's lives. Yeah, excellent. Uh, well, thank you for mentioning your viewers and your platform, because I think not only is that a great accomplishment, which is really exciting, because as someone working in this, I know how hard it is. <laughs> and like, what it feels like to put your whole heart out there and get like, one like, which is where <laughs> we have to start, right. Um, and that you take all of those viewers and the people who are listening and sharing with you, um, you take that and use it as this opportunity for education, for awareness, and for really telling 
fun, interesting and valuable stories. So I think that that's really important to share because um, in the space of travel, I think um, it, it's, it's really, there's a fine line about, um, and I was just writing this morning, like what if travel was less about disconnecting and more about reconnecting? And I feel like people who come at travel from the space of connection and reconnecting to self and others show up a little bit differently in the space of travel. And so I love connecting with the people who, where that's where their heart lands. So thank you for um, kind of bringing your fun and light and love into travel, but also using it to share. Um, I want to start kind of where you started. You mentioned you worked in the cruise industry and that really exposed you to a lot of things and travel kind of fueled that fire. And then you later on decided that you were going to walk across Asia with your backpack. <laughs> so I'm curious, like why and what that looked like and what that felt like, and then how that changed you as a person and what it led to. Wow. Thank you. So that's a lot. Um, I honestly, the reason that I started working on cruise ships and for Club Med was because of my love of scuba diving. I was, after college, I went to medical school. And when I decided that wasn't the right place for me, I started teaching. And during that time, I became a scuba diver. And unfortunately, with my part-time assistant preschool teacher money, I could not afford to go scuba diving in exciting places. And it's kind of a long story, but I ended up in the mountains for Club Med and eventually on the cruise ships. And one of my biggest goals was to scuba dive, which I did a lot. And so I loved the diving and I loved going amazing places. I mean, my house moved. It, you know, you went to sleep and you woke up somewhere else. It was just, it was a dream. I loved it. And um, that's why I stayed so long. But I made amazing, amazing friends. That was a huge piece of it. And I still am in touch with a lot of the people that I worked with. And honestly, September 11th was a big part of why I left the cruise industry. The industry understandably had a big shift afterwards. It made sense that things would change. And there wasn't exactly the same spot for me. My company went bankrupt right after September 11th. And I went back to teaching. I've always taught. I taught and I traveled. I traveled and I taught. And then at some point I met someone who also loved to travel. And that's when I went on the journey that you're talking about. We spent 11 months, not completely only walking, but slow travel. So we were on the bus. Um, we spent months, you know, we spent three months in Nepal and, and we did walk a lot of treks. So it was amazing. I got to see parts of India, Nepal, Thailand, Indonesia. We would get a two-month visa and just explore. I love that. Um, I, there's like so many synergies and connections that are happening. I worked for a cruise line around the time 9-11 and I actually, I left shortly after as well because of the things that were happening um, in the industry at that time. And um, I also love scuba diving and I super love Thailand and I spent six weeks backpacking there. Oh, wow. And that was kind of where I learned that art of slow travel. And we, I went with a girlfriend. We had our first night in Bangkok, Bangkok booked when we landed, we landed at two in the morning on Halloween, which was <laughs> crazy. Um, we ended up, we had a, a hostel on Khaosan road and went to, you know, see what is this, you know, it's where all the travelers go and they had just closed an MTV live dance party. And my brain was so sleep deprived. And I'm, I'm like, I don't understand what is happening. Like there was all these people and glitter and they're like, MTV was here and, I didn't, I felt like I just, why I'm in Asia, why is this happening? I left that and I land in it. And um, anyway, but then I, after that, we just like, whatever spoke to us. If someone said, this is the most amazing place, we're like, let's hop on a train and go there. And um, then hear about the next adventure. And we were just like said, yes, which um, is something we don't get to do in our lives a lot. And so 
like that freedom and that connection and that pace are things that travel offers us that I am constantly seeking to bring back into my life. I don't know if you've had similar experiences where something it's like the person you are when you travel, you crave to be that person when you come home or the lessons you've learned that you bring back to your life. Um, have you had any of those experiences that jump out for you that you'd like to share? What a good question. And first of all, I loved the experience of Kosan Road. Of course you were there. And of course MTV was there. I mean, when I was away for 11 months, we used to go back through Bangkok a lot because it was easy to get a visa. And that was the place where I used to go to the dentist. Like, like Kosan Road was like kind of normal, you know, like, oh, I'm gonna get a visa, I'm gonna get my teeth cleaned, I'm gonna get my laundry done. You know, it felt it like such a normal, it, it probably sounds so weird that in, during my 11 months of travel, those were my normal places. You know, like we went to, I went to the doctor, um, all the things you wouldn't do on a tiny little island. <laughs> um, but I, I agree with you, you can be, you know, travel allows you, the newness of it allows you to re-examine who you are and who do you want to be. And, you know, a lot of my experiences have been, you know, goals. Like I remember I went to Mexico and I went to class, I went to shark school and we learned all about the bull sharks and we, we went scuba diving with them. And, and that was kind of an epic moment. And I've, I've been fortunate to have so many of those when I was little. Um, I loved science. I've always loved science. And last, I guess not last year anymore, but the end of 2019, I was able to go on a dream trip to the Galapagos. And I had always, always wanted to see the blue-footed boobies. And the thing that was amazing, and this is true about anywhere I've been traveling in the world, is I wanted to see blue-footed boobies. And I got there and they're like, what about the red-footed boobies? And I was like, there's red-footed ones? And then there's Nazca boobies that look different as well. And so then I was like, my mind was so blown. Like I wanted to see the blue ones. I saw the blue ones and I saw the red ones. And I think that's the experience of learning and that you, you have this thread, like you're talking about like, oh, this is a great place, let's go. But then you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, it opens up a whole nother world. Yeah, I always say that travel is like letting the land tell you its story. We think we know why we picked the book up because the cover was pretty. And then you like open the page and like the next thing happens and the next thing happens and the next thing happens. So um, that's for me, the real magic of travel is especially creating space for that to happen. And not everyone is so fortunate to be able to travel that way where we can wait for it to unfold. Some of us leave and we have, you know, eight days off and we're, we have all these things that we're doing. Um, but I think part of the value of these conversations is also letting people know you can make space for magic to happen and um, that it's still going to be valuable. We think if we only have eight days off, we'd better be doing something every day, have it planned. But like just leaving that day, even one day open to just see, because I guarantee there's going to be something that pops up that you, uh, like this bread making class you never knew you wanted to take is going to present itself to you. And how great to get to say yes to it. So um, I also wanted to talk about, you mentioned the, your teaching and how you kind of went back and forth and back and forth between the two. And I love so much the, um, on your website, if people visit, we said, go travel, there's, we said, do good. And you kind of tell the story of these projects that you have, have set forth to do the 45 by 45, the, your solar cooking project for your birthday, um, as well as the Mongolian fair trade project that you did. And then using your travels to teach students to become global citizens, which by the way, is like, is my dream. I have three little girls and I want to live that with them. I don't want to just, you know, share my stories. I want them to be out there having those moments, but when I think when you can bring that much of yourself to your students, they see it. Um, so I just want to take a moment to meander through all of those. So if we can start with the solar cooker project and then we'll go from there. Well, I, I loved the idea 
you know, a lot of times for a, a birthday, you know, a, a zero or a five, I feel like people have a big party or it's like, what, what milestone is it? And through the Jewish community, through Jewish World Watch, I knew about the Solar Cooker Project. And it's something that really makes a difference. At that point, it was a very big deal in the refugee camps. The going out to collect the firewood was a place where women were being attacked. They were leaving the camps. And so one solution was don't leave the camp. And the solar cookers was a way for people to cook food. So people were getting nutrition, they were getting safety. And so I decided to do a project um, to hope to raise enough money, which we did, to buy 45 solar cookers for the camp for my 40, in honor of my 45th birthday. So 45 years and 45. Um, but I've always been very involved in the Jewish community and tikkun olam, which is about helping and repairing the world. And I've taught at Jewish school and it was really, um, I knew about the project. I knew people that worked there. And when I was teaching, the we had a day where we learned about the refugee camp. And that was where I first learned about the solar cookers. My students and I learned about the cookers and one of my students for a science fair project, that was their project, can you really cook food? And so it had been this kind of organic process. We knew about them, they knew about us, we'd worked with them, the kids were into it. So it was, it was really beautiful. I, I love how that extends out too, because you have all these communities that are tying in, plus your friends and your family that want to support you. And I, you know, inherently, I think we all want to do good, but then also understanding the why of it, which is really important as well, because then you're taking them to have this life experience with these women and understanding why they need to have these stoves. And I've experienced this in Guatemala, where um, working with projects to, for clean wood burning stoves and what that means in their house to not have their walls covered with suit, to have something where they can stand up so they're not hunched over a, a fire that's hot and smoky. And like those make huge changes and really sharing that because again, like I've said, not everyone is lucky to have seen that face to face and had a conversation with a woman to know what that's like for them afterwards. And so being able to use your passion and your platform to really to create all of that. Um, I, I just, I love that. And I love how we can weave all of our passions together. So for philanthropy and education and travel, um, how that all fits. Um, with the Mongolian Fair Trade Project with the pur purses from tapestries, um, I'm really excited about that. Fair trade and working with um, women artisans around the world, that's like really where my heart is at. That's where we travel with Lotus Sojourns. So I would love to hear how that came about. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it was a, it was very much how you're talking about it. It was a very organic moment that we, I was traveling in Mongolia. It was the very end of an 11 month walk across Asia. And in Ulaanbaatar, we had gone um, on a van trip into the Gobi Desert and, and walked in the desert and it was stunning. And, and like you said about being open to the experience, we, we were able to add a night. We were traveling with another couple and we we're like, we're not leaving. It took like six days to drive here. We're staying an extra night. And so we had such a great experience. I mean, we showered twice in whatever it was, 10, 12 or 14 days. I don't remember how many nights we were out, but I remember there were not a lot of showers. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of running water. There was a lot of nothing. They actually called it that at one point we'd find the vast expanse of nothingness. And I said, how will I know when I get there? And I said, Lisa, you will know. <laughs> um, but anyway, the back in Ulaanbaatar, we, were, we met a lot of the restaurant owners and, and shop owners. And we met this man who had created an NGO and the, they taught the women when they, they had the tapestries lining the inside of the gears, which are the round huts, like a, um, what's the other name? A yurt. So they're called gears. And then at times they would get rid of them or make a new one. And so they told them, take this beautiful work and turn it into a purse. And they taught them about zippers and purses and whatever. And so we bought uh, quite a number of them and brought them back. And I sold them to friends and 
we actually reordered it a couple of times. It, it, they were beautiful. I actually, that was um, in 2009 that we probably bought those. And I still have friends like when we went out, uh, you know, in 2019, that I would go to dinner with someone and they would have one. I was like, oh, I remember that project. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. And it, and again, it like just adds to that connection and community because, you know, they may not have had that experience, but now they really have this connection to you and to these women and to their story. And other people are probably going to notice it and they're going to ask, what's the story of this? And so it just, it continues out and it, and it helps us to really see people that we don't get to interact with all the time. So I, I, I just think it's so important. A lot of times we think these actions are so simple and that they kind of live in this little box, but in reality, they have the opportunity to just become much bigger than we think. And um, I love seeing that unfold. Um, the last thing I want to dive into, and you've mentioned a little bit, but is more of the um, what you were the work you were doing with the um, Global Citizens Project with your students. Um, I, in one project in particular that caught my eye was your um, Earth Science Who Cares, where you were talking about the rock cycles that ended up tying into the Congo conflict. Which, let me tell you, this is my daughter's all all over it like they 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 hear a thing like that and the next thing you know they are like okay how do we solve world hunger how do we make sure that there's rights for women in the congo and how do we and i'm like oh, i'm so glad you're my kids and like let's take one step back so i see how that happens but i would love to hear how that unfolded in your classroom <laughs> okay well that was um a good example of, of, like you said, the thread coming through. So I remember as an elementary school student, earth science being so dry and boring. Like I could not understand like, oh, she's talking about volcanoes again. And I remember when I was working on the cruise ship, I spent over the course of my time, three summers in Alaska. And I very distinctly remember my brother-in-law, Jeffrey, before I got there, being so jealous. You're going to Alaska? And I was like, yes, is it good? And he said to me, I remember being in school and the teacher talking about glaciers and, and they fall apart and the whales and all of this stuff. And I was like, huh, I don't know anything about Alaska. I mean, I grew up in California. He grew up on the East Coast. I'm like, why do you know so much about Alaska? I know nothing. And so I got to Alaska and we were whale watching and then the glaciers were calving and it was amazing. I loved every minute of that trip. And when I was back teaching, I really had that in my mind that I did not want to ruin something so incredible for my students. And I also remember um, learning like all kinds of long division and every being in school and people being like, will we ever use this? Does anyone care? And so I was starting this unit on the rock cycle and I literally looked at my kids and I was like, who cares? Does anybody care about this? And they're like, no, no, we really don't care about this. You make us learn stuff and we don't care. It's like, okay. So then we went on this whole journey talking about volcanoes and the earth's crust and magma and minerals. And we talked a lot about gemstones where they're real familiar with big rings and gems. So that was relatable. And then we started talking about do we care about minerals? And we started learning about, well, you know, video games and cell phones and computers, they do not work without very particular things that come from very particular places. And all of a sudden, we cared a lot because we wanted more phones and more video games and more computer time. But then we, that was when I was teaching in a Jewish school and we had a lot of community um, service projects and tikkun olam. And we were like, huh, the people there don't have very good life. And so the kids got really into it. And we actually ended up writing to President Obama. And we got a very, very lovely letter back, which was surprising to me. I was thrilled to bring the kids to the point of we will write to the government. But I did not have any expectation that they might get back to us because I figured they're busy. They run the country. 
but they sent us a really nice letter and the kids never forgot that. Oh, that's so good. Like I was a total, I loved school so much. I still love school. So I'm like, I can't imagine if my teacher would have done that for me. And I loved earth science. It was one of my favorite and the test where we had to take the little tray of rocks and name what each rock was, where it came from and what it represented was like my heaven. So I would have been the one kid in your class that was like, I care. I love rocks. Um, and like the story, because I think that's what it was, is like every one of these, it came from a place in time that we don't know about. And it has that story locked inside of it. And I just, I thought that was magic. And when you go someplace like Alaska, which I've been so lucky to go and you see all the layers of rocks, like that's all I see. I'm like, that's every piece of history, like lined up right there for us to learn about. And, um, but I, I, yeah, I can't imagine like watching that unfold for your students as a teacher as well to just see it become something important to them. And then for them to have the luck and the gift of getting that impassioned and then having that acknowledged at that level, like that's going to change how they think they can make a difference in the world and how they think their voice matters. So thank you so much for being that kind of a teacher because we aren't all so lucky. And I, I just love it. Like I'm like, I think my kids are going to just go to Lisa Niver school and we'll be good. And then we'll be heading off to Mongolia with her. And <laughs> I think this sounds like a good deal. <laughs> no, I, I really, thank you. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. I was very fortunate everywhere that I taught. I I've taught in public school. I taught eighth grade science. I've taught in private school and I was fortunate to really be able to bring the family into the whole experience. You know, I sent newsletters and I sent pictures and um, I, I ran a summer camp a couple of years and I'm still close with this woman. She used to bring um, live wild animals. And when we would study different biomes, um, she would come and because I taught all the grades, the kids knew some of the, you know, like the highlights and they knew the animals were coming. So this is one of my favorite stories. Lainey and I still talk about this almost every time we get on the phone, but the first grade was studying the desert and they were very excited. And I remember, you know, back when people were in the classroom, we had a smart board and we would send letters. And so the kid said to me, what animals is Lainey bringing from the desert? Turning matches kangaroo leading because they had seen other pictures. And I was like, I don't, I don't really know what she's bringing. What do you think she's gonna bring? And one of the first graders raised her hands, Miss Nyberg, tell Lainey I would really like her to bring a camel. And I was like typing the letter because the kids can see on the board what I'm typing. And I'm trying to have like a very plain face because who brings a camel to the classroom? And so um, Lainey, Kangaroo Lainey comes the next week and she has armadillo and she tells them like the nails are painted because they come as triplets and they want to know which armadillo is which. And one time she brought a chinchilla and a huge snake, like, a, I don't know, 15 foot snake that there's pictures of it wrapped around us. So then Lainey looks at me, she says, you know, um, we need to go outside now. I said, no, we don't need to go outside now. This is inside. We don't go outside. She goes, yeah, mm -hmm. okay, kids, follow me. We're going outside. And I was like, wow. So she says, okay, kids, stay here. I'm like, what is happening? So she walks away and she walks back with a camel. And my favorite part of the story is at, um, at the end of the year, back to school night, one of the dads comes up to me and he says, you know, that was so amazing. I saw a picture where you Photoshopped a camel in with the first grade. I said, sir, did you ask your daughter? And he said, yes, yes. She said there was a camel, but I did not believe her. And I was like, we had a camel. <laughs> so we, there were a lot of moments where, you know, like we flew rockets, we did, you know, Diet Coke and Mentos explosions. We had science fair, we had guest speakers, scuba divers came. We, we had a good time. Yeah, that's so good. And that's, I mean, it's, that's helping kids to build that muscle of like, I get to live my dreams. I get to have a camel at first grade. Like Miss, Mrs. Niver made that happen. Like 
I can do anything I want in life. I asked for a camel and I got one. Um, I just think that's so important and so amazing. Um, I, this kind of like in a weird way leads into the article that I was rereading last night that you wrote recently that was in Teen Vogue about your uh, happy accident of a swimming lesson and, and then what that brought into your life during the craziness of 2020 and quarantine. So I would love for you to just share a little bit about that story and then we'll go from there. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So we've discussed, I love scuba diving. We haven't really talked about that. I was not a very good swimmer most of my life until college, but I had a best friend who was an NCAA synchronized swimmer and basically taught me to swim as an adult. And ever since I've swum as much as I can. And um, during COVID, the YMCA where I swam obviously closed. And at some point there was the allowance in California because every county is different. Um, in our county, local small pools could open and with many, many restrictions. And so I started swimming and one day this man was swimming and there's only 10 people there. And I looked at him and I said, wow, you're quite good. And another dad looked at me and said, well, he probably should be. He's an Olympian. I was like, oh my goodness. I was really mortified, but it wasn't like I said he was bad. Anyway, so um, Marcus and his wife and his two kids, he's, in, he's originally from Austria, Marcus Rogan. He's won two silver medals the nicest, nicest man. And over the summer and into the fall, every time I saw him, he would occasionally give me a swimming hint, which I took very seriously because he's so good. So um, I ended up writing this article for Teen Vogue, which my title was something like my accidental swimming lesson with an Olympian. And I believe the editor's final title is how a swimming lesson from Olympian Marcus Rogan changed my life. Marcus told me he thinks he's my muse. And I said, okay, you're my muse. Um, but it was one of the things he and I talked about at one point was, he said, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to help you because you want to learn and you're open to suggestions. And a lot of people don't really necessarily feel comfortable getting help. And I think that's one of the things that's characterized a lot of the opportunities that have, you know, appeared to me is maybe they appear to other people also, but I'm like, sure, fix my swimming stroke. So, um, yeah, it was so many amazing pieces. I was able to swim, which was by itself enough. I was so thrilled to be able to get in the water and it really helps me stay sane. I met him and his family, which was so nice. He helped my swimming. And then I tell Marcus every time I talk to him, I'm so grateful he got me in Teen Vogue. And I love the line that you said where he was like, if you just reached further, it would change everything. It would change your stroke. It would change how you move through the water. And I can imagine, I, I, I'm not a very good swimmer. My oldest daughter is an amazing swimmer. And she's really good at that. She's like, I noticed that when I made my toes like this, instead of like this, that, you know, everything changed. Um, but then taking that to like kind of a more literal interpretation about how, like you said, if we say yes, if we reach further, if we push ourselves out of the comfort zone where when you're swimming like that, it feels better to kind of like you, if you reach out like that, you feel like you're probably going to sink, right? Like it's not a very natural position. It's amazing to watch. It doesn't look natural in any way. Um, it looks graceful when someone can do it beautifully. But if you think about that, like the saying yes, and then reaching. And I think this really ties into so much of your career, like, and what you wanted out of life was to kind of do these things that most of us don't say yes to. Uh, it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem like we can go live on a cruise ship for seven years. It doesn't seem like we can, you know, travel to six of the continents. It doesn't like, these are things that you have to be reaching and saying yes. So I would just love for you, like whatever comes up with you in that context to share. 
Well, I, I do think you're right. Um, you know, a lot of people come up with the reasons why they cannot do something. Like I, I can't pack up all my stuff and go live in club bed in the mountains. I can't go on the cruise ship. Um, it's, it's, it has, you're, you're right. Cause I mean, even the video. So now I'm just so close to 1.3 million views on YouTube. But like you said, it only moves up one at a time. One person watches, that's all that happens. And I've tried over time to really, really appreciate every milestone, you know, like honestly, I was just as excited to have 500 views as I was to have a million views because it's it's really a small step. It, you know, someone has to be willing to watch it. And the funniest thing is, so when when I first started filming video, I had this thing called a, a Cisco flip. It was only did one thing. It turned on and off. It had one button, red button. That was it, which was perfect for me because I was new. So I took all this footage on a trip in Taiwan and I was teaching um, elementary school at the time, K-6. And I cannot tell you why on this particular day in this particular class, I looked at my students and I said, I, I took all this video, but I don't know how to make a movie. And a little girl named Hannah in fifth grade came up to me and she said, you know what, Miss Snyder, I'm going to teach you iMovie at recess. So I had an eight minute lesson from a, whatever she was, not eight year old, but you know, some 10 year old. She was super good. All the kids were like, oh yeah, Hannah's real smart about that. And I kept asking her questions. What about this? You don't need that. Listen to me. I'm telling you what to do. So <laughs> I've never forgotten like how nice that was that my student was willing to teach me. And when I tell the story, people were like, you listened to her? I'm like, I listened to her. She was helpful. And, and all the things that have happened, like when I, when I left Club Med for cruise ships, part of it was because if you worked two seasons at Club Med at the time, you could have a vacation anywhere in the world for two weeks on them as like a present because we really didn't make very much money. And so it came through the village that I was going scuba diving in Sonora Bay in Mexico. And a woman uh, named Pavan from Canada came in. I was at the time, I think in baby club, she came in furious. And she looks at me, she goes, who did you sleep with? Now club med wasn't called club bed for nothing. So I was like, uh, I, I don't know, what did I do? Like, why are you mad at me? She goes, well, I just heard that you're getting this thing. And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, have you worked two seasons? She said, no. I said, well, did you ask to go anywhere? She said, no. I said, well, that's why I'm going and you're not. I worked two seasons. I asked, I followed up like six times because I'm very persistent and I'm getting to go. I said, work another season and ask for what you want. And she was like, oh, I thought you slept with the, you know, the chief. And I was like, I didn't, but even if I did, it wouldn't get me this. And so it's just been interesting over the years, like working on cruise ships, people are like, why are you getting to go to Australia? And I said, well, I wrote to the office and I said, thanks so much. I'm having such a good time in Alaska. Wouldn't it be so great next contract if I could go to Europe? And they wrote back and they're like, well, we don't really have a space in Europe, but you haven't been to Australia. You want to go to Australia? Mm -hmm. I want to go to Australia. And I would say, well, what do you do? She said, well, when they send me a contract for the Caribbean again, I call and I yell at them. I said, well, I don't think your way's working. But, but some people aren't that good with people. And I'm like, I think it's way better, you know, get out in front of it. Like, hey, is this possible? How can we make this happen? And some people are like, mm, I just like to yell at everyone. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I think you're going to stay in the Caribbean. <laughs> I think there's a lot of life, life lessons that, that that can be directed to, especially right now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it just, it is, it's very much a mindset, right? Like so many people offer, uh, operate from a reactive place or from a place of lack or um, just knowing that they've never gotten it before. So that's the way it is. And it just takes a little shift to just ask. And the worst thing that can happen is they can say no. But if you ask nicely, maybe the next time, then there's the yes waiting around the corner. Um, 
I mean, I have found that too, is it just, it, it takes a little bit of bravery. It's much easier to know you're going to hear a no than to hope you're going to hear a yes. And I have gone through that really with the soul of travel and reaching out to people that I'm, I was just sharing with a friend. I'm like, you know, if I had been at a, a networking event with all of these guests, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I might've talked to two of them, but under the, the space of this conversation, this weird time that we're living in and all of these things, I've been so lucky to just go ahead and ask and just think like, they just might say they're too busy and that's okay. But they might say yes, and then I get to meet someone like you and have a great conversation that other people get to listen to and be inspired. And they might say, you know what? I didn't even think about asking for what I want. I didn't even think about it. And someone might say I can do it. So I'm so grateful for being able to have this conversation and hopefully open those doors um, for getting to have this time with you, which has been so fun. And even like doing all the research, you think, well, I have a good idea of who a person is. I've watched them interview someone else. I've talked to them already. And now like, I've loved so much of every minute of this conversation. Um, before we end, I just want you to have this opportunity. If there's anything else you wanted to share, um, we didn't get to some of the things on my list that I wanted to get to. So maybe you'll be back, but how can people learn more about you, watch your videos, um, read your book, your articles, any of those things that you want to share? Thank you. First of all, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. You ask really great questions. So thank you very much for inviting me. Um, the One of the things that's been happening this for 2021, I have something new, which is I've been shifting my social media and I'm aligning all my social media under my name, Lisa Niver, because as you said, I'm working on a book proposal and I hope to be able to share. I did a project 50. Sometimes I call them crazy adventures before 50. So I'm working on that. But my videos are still under We Said Go Travel. So We Said Go Travel is my website. And that's where I've had many writing competitions, photo competitions, tons of articles. So We Said Go Travel is the videos. And then on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, I am Lisa Niver. And I also have a website, lisaniver.com, that has all my articles. That's my portfolio. And let me think where else I am. I'm in LA because... I've been here now, I think, over 320 days. <laughs> um, seems like a while, but I, like I said, I've been really working on my book, which has been great, and talking to lovely people like you. So, but yeah, I would love to hear from people. You can find me on social media. And um, I have a new article on a site called Undomesticated. Its tagline is that it's a magazine for bold women. And that one, I have an article about a, a reinvention reading list because so many times I've reinvented yeah. myself. I was reading about that too. And that looks so excited. So exciting to me. I also love books and just launched a book sojourn for 2021 because we're not traveling per se, but we can still explore like our hearts and our minds and really the world through the pages of books. So I'm spending a lot of time in the world of books right now. <laughs> um, well, hopefully this year I'm going to get an agent and a book contract, and then I will come to your book That would be amazing. I would love to have you back to talk about that and to have you there. Um, the last thing I have is just a little um, rapid fire, and I always say that it's not really rapid fire because we still end up talking, but that's okay. Um, seven questions that are just kind of fun to um, give a little more insight to anybody listening um, about travel, how you travel, and maybe inspire them when they hear one of the answers. So the first is, what is your favorite book or movie that offers you a travel escape or inspires you to adventure? I, um, I would pick Wild by Cheryl Strayed, and that was in my undomesticated list. And I've also written about it for Ms. Magazine. Um, I thought the journey she went on by herself with her backpack that she called monster, you know, after carrying my own backpack for so long, like I, I was really impressed with her journey. I would love to do the, um, 
the Camino de Santiago someday, the, the walk there. Um, but I know from trekking in Nepal that it, my backpack will not be named Monster. <laughs> but I love the the way she shared, you know, she was traveling after losing her mom and, and the way she basically was working through her stuff walking. Yeah, that book blew my mind. Um, I lived kind of near one of the points on the P Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, really? And every time I drove by it, I was like, I just went on that trail. Oh. Just on that trail. Um, and the Camino uh, de Santiago, I was just talking to my last guest about that too. And it's totally on my bucket list. So maybe someday we can like walk really far somewhere amazing together. Um, I think that there's magic that happens when we travel again in that slow way. And I also want my backpack to be named like Feather or something like that, because Thailand was a little bit of monster and I don't need that. <laughs> um, what, I, I like that. I like that intention. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it works. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert always, when I see her, like say, I'm sitting out on this adventure, here's my backpack. And it's like a tote bag for the grocery store. And she's like, I'm going to be gone six weeks. I'm like, what you do, you can't even have a book in there, which I know you have and a toothbrush and like, there's not an extra pair of shoes. There's not an extra pair. What are you doing? This is insane to me. I hope to have a conversation with her someday about how on earth she does that. It's amazing. On that note, what is always in your suitcase? That is an excellent question. So um, I like to start with the practical. So I always have my passport and I figure out a way about money. I, um, from working on the cruise ship and being away such a long, long time, I have always in separate bags, a copy of my passport, an extra credit card and cash. I always have a little plastic baggie in with my socks that has extra stuff. Like if you steal this bag, I have this bag. And honestly, no one ever stole my bag. But once in Chile, I was at an ATM and it ate my card. And the guard was like, don't worry, come back tomorrow. I'm like, come back tomorrow. My ship's leaving in two hours. And for a lot of people, that would be a disaster. But I was like, you took that card? I have this card. Like, you're, you're not getting me on that. Or at the time there was, I mean, I guess there always is credit card fraud. So if you don't have an address, it can be very hard for them to mail you a new card. So extra. It's a scuba diving thing too. Got to have extra. Yes, I have that. I have the same strategy as well. Um, and people are like, why do you need five copies of your passport? I'm like, I don't know, but you might. And so I do. But the other um, thing about my bag, I just have to say is ever since Kindle has existed, I always have Kindle with a lot of books from the library. Yes. Um, what is your favorite destination you've been to so far? Um, I love, 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 love Thailand. The Galapagos that we talked about was magic. Um, I love to be skiing or underwater almost anywhere. I can't wait to go back to Israel again. I love a lot of places. Yeah, it's a really hard question. And as is this one, where do you still long to visit? Oh, that's an easy one. Please, I want to go to Antarctica, my final continent. And Iceland, I've never, never been to Iceland. And I, all, I had plans to go to Brazil where I have not yet been that had some uh, 2020 problems. I was wondering if Antarctica was was the last continent. Um, I really want to go there too. And so many people say it's their favorite. Um, so I, yes, so maybe there too. Maybe we're, we're walking in Antarctica. I, I have a, a special place in my heart for the vast expanse of nothingness. Oh, good. Uh, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place that you've been? Oh, so had CU. I just love Thai food and I just eat Thai food. And I think about I for for quite a long time, like multiple, multiple weeks, maybe even longer than a month. I lived in this very nice little apartment on the second floor in Koh Samui. And I could hear the I could hear the waves day and night. And next door was a tiny little um, family restaurant. And when we would come in basically every single day, they had little girls and they were always playing. And, you know, I don't speak very much Thai and the Thai speak is not, not demokmok, it's not very good, but the girls would wave at me and smile. And I love that place. 
um, when that was my favorite thing about Thailand. I was like, every day, what are you going to eat today? Thai food. I mean, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I never could get enough. Took the cooking classes. So, so good. Um, let's see. Who was the person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? Um, I would definitely have to say my parents. They, they moved us. They grew up on the East Coast. And my dad was in the military during Vietnam. And I, my sister was born on the base. And after that, we moved here to California, where I still am mainly when I'm not traveling. And we always had adventures. Uh, we would go skiing. We went river rafting. I went on my first cruise with my parents. And the thing about that for me was the history book came to life. Like we, we went to the pyramids, we went to the Parthenon, we went to Israel. And I was like, these are real places. So I think all of that for me was like inspired this lifetime wanderlust. Yeah, that's like, it's real. That's the amazing thing when you travel and that happens. You it's, it, it should make sense, but there's something that connects differently the first time you really see something like that, that you've only read about. Um, the last question is if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real past or alive, who would it be? I would probably go with my teacher, Joni Parker. Um, unfortunately, she died and um, about a year ago. And if I could have anyone from the past come back and have an adventure with, I would definitely go with her. Thank you so much for this. I'm going to close with the quote that I forgot to open with that um, was on your website. And to me, this is, this is just what it is. So when we travel, we simply think we are going to see different people, places, and things. But what we really do is learn profound lessons about ourselves. So this is the essence of everything in travel to me. And I am so grateful that we have connected, that I've gotten to learn so much in just such a short time from the connection. And um, I'm yes, just so grateful you were here today. Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun and I would love to come back and I hope people reach out to me and I can't wait for the day when I'm sitting here and I'm like, and here's my book. Yes, me too. That'll be great. We'll be back for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I'm so happy to connect with you. You can find more about the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourn community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can find out more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can also find the Lotus Sojourns I Guide for Women as well as my current book, Sojourn, offering an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective, or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or Soul of Travel Podcast. Join the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story.